0: Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient. And on this episode, we'll discuss a complex and thorny set of procedures for spinal surgery. They're difficult to code and can involve query situations that can be very challenging. Joining me to sort through the challenges is a guest who's making a return visit to the podcast, Rachel Mack. Rachel, welcome back to Modern Practice. Thank you, Tom. So happy to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Visient?
1: Sure, Tom, I'd love to. I am currently a consulting director of CDI for Visient. And when people ask me what I do, I tell them a little bit of everything. One, we go around the country and try and improve client CDI encoding programs. Lots of times there's many holes in the Swiss cheese and a lot of work that takes to improve that. But that's one of the things I do. Another thing I do is things like this lovely podcast with you. I get to film some stuff in the studio. I am also one of the people that is I wouldn't say in charge, but uh, definitely with my colleagues improving our education on a year over year basis. So all of the offerings that we offer to our clients, I have a heavy hand in that. So I do a little bit of everything at Visium.
0: It's great to hear. So during our show prep, we spoke about that. I actually do see quite a bit of lower back pain in my practice and specifically patients that eventually require surgery. But let's start with an overview here. What's the current situation with spinal surgeries?
1: Yes. So one of the reasons I was really excited about this topic for this podcast is because there are around 1.62 million instrumented spinal surgeries or procedures every year in the United States. So this includes surgeries that involve multiple procedures during the same visit and more than 352,000 inner body fusions are performed during the year in the reports that we examine. So that's the most common procedure that we see. So I wanted to talk about this because it's everywhere and I feel like it often gets overlooked in CDI encoding. I can see that. And these procedures tend to be quite lucrative for most of our organizations, aren't they? They are extremely lucrative, which I've got a couple of really good examples of that
0: coming up in our podcast. All right. Based on what I'm seeing as our population starts getting older and unfortunately get heavier, are we seeing that the number of spinal surgeries are actually increasing in our country?
1: Yes, this was another fascinating piece of information I found in my research. So there was a 15-year-long longitudinal study by the National Institute of Health completed in 2022, so relatively recently. There has been an increase in the annual number of spinal surgeries by 2.4 times over the last 15 years. So we've got that little <laughs> nugget of information. On the other hand, the number of spinal surgeons has only increased by just under 1.5 times. So actually, very typical, I feel like, compared to how many doctors we're turning out versus how many patients need this very high level of care in our country. Also, over the last 15 years, there's been a marked increase in surgeries for spinal degenerative disease. I feel like the way of thinking used to be, I ah, just let them suffer. And now, with the magic of modern science, essentially, we can take patients to surgery who never went before. So more and more patients are choosing this option because their pain is so
0: terrible. We also see many service lines being started around the country, particularly for just spine centers, where it's really a team approach. We're using physicians who are physical medicine and rehabilitation physicians that are evaluating these patients. They are now becoming proceduralist as well, in addition to neurosurgeons and even orthopedic back surgeons, where there's coordination of care along with physical therapy, multiple modalities, if you will, including chiropractic. So what's the most common reasons patients actually require surgery in our country?
1: So the most common diagnoses related to needing spinal surgery include disc herniation or spinal stenosis. These are conditions, they compress the nerves within that spinal column, which can lead to fairly significant and severe pain, tingling, numbness, muscle weakness, and some other more severe symptoms. And I mentioned to this before the podcast, Tom, my own father is actually going up here soon. Upcoming next week, he is actually having back surgery for two herniated discs and has gone through the pain gamut I feel like in the last four to six months trying to do conservative measures which were required not only by his provider but by his insurance company as well to try and get this pain under control and despite pain medication a pain patch some steroid shots it is still not there so he is having surgery next week and he is very much looking forward to it just to get his life back
0: honestly yeah yeah I believe also spinal stenosis is another condition that we see with some frequency
1: Yes, spinal stenosis is absolutely another reason to have surgery. And I feel like this is one for sure that patients used to either delay, delay surgery, or simply not have surgery. And we are approaching that pretty differently in 2023.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Also, I think it's just underdiagnosed in the primary care realm. Sometimes people actually think there's a vascular condition when it's really spinal claudication that's going on.
1: Absolutely. Also, not a knock on the American healthcare system, but we're in good company, so we can talk about it. But a lot of people do not go to primary care visits. They simply put it off, put it off. And this is one of those conditions where it can be a slow creep pain or it can come on very suddenly. So some of these patients end up truly, they can't get up, they can't get off the floor, they can't sit up off the couch, their family can't pick them up, and they end up in the ER for these conditions as well, unfortunately.
0: So we talk about as common ones being herniated, disc disease and spinal stenosis. Are there other reasons that people are getting surgeries nowadays?
1: Yes, Tom. Many patients have spinal surgery due to an unstable spine, like in spinal fractures and spondylolisthesis. And by the way, spondylolisthesis is one of my most favorite medical terms. Every time I see it, I have to say it over and over in my head. But spondylolisthesis is a condition involving spine instability, which means the vertebrae. And this just sounds awful, but they move around more than they should. And in this condition, a vertebra could slip out of place and move into a vertebra below, which is just crazy to think about.
0: Are there even less common procedures that we see or for conditions that require or you can get procedures for?
1: Yes. So some less common reasons, and even in the younger population, we're going to see a little bit more for spinal surgery is to correct a curvature or a crooked spine. Things like scoliosis, kyphosis in our older population, and flat back syndrome. Scoliosis and kyphosis are typically managed non-operatively through bracing and physical therapy, but in instances in which that spinal curvature exceeds a certain degree,
0: spinal intervention is required to realign the spine. So let's go now into documentation, which is really the main reason we're getting together for this podcast. Because I got to be honest, I know that there is an expectation, there needs to be conservative therapy that needs to come out first. But what exactly needs to be documented to actually lead towards surgery or to justify surgery, if you will?
1: That's a really good question. And a lot of this we will see in the pre-op HMP of a planned, and I love the word elective, right? Like anyone would elect to have (laughs) surgery. The way I I phrase it is a planned surgery. We will see reasons for that in the patient's H&P. So the surgeon will say things, and again, they're not typically the best documenters, so sometimes we have to prod them a little bit, but they will document things like has attempted multiple conservative measures, has tried the things we were mentioning earlier, has tried steroid injections, pain patches, pain medications, PT, OT, all sorts of therapy without avail, and now they are here presenting for spinal surgery. And unfortunately, this is often not typically with Medicare patients and not typically with VA patients, but (laughs) this is the world we're living in in our country. Some insurance providers can deny this patient preoperatively to have this surgery if it's not done on an emergent basis. So they are going through their insurance provider for every therapy, every treatment prior to the surgery, And again, they're in pain the entire time, some of them 10 out of 10 pain where they can't walk, but they are proving, look at all these things I've done. (laughs) We're dead serious here. This herniated disc or spinal issue is terrible. And they have to kind of check that box before they'll be approved by their insurance company. So usually pretty thorough documentation, even for surgeons said with love and kindness in this space for sure, because they have to prove that need for this planned
0: surgery. I would imagine also the risk of complication because if less on its own, several of these conditions can actually lead to permanent neurological damage.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing is too, some of these patients may even before surgery, which is just terrible to think about, they may be on their way to developing things like neurogenic bowel, neurogenic bladder some type of paralysis, some plegis because of those nerve compressions, the longer you put off surgery, if you really need it, if those conservative measures aren't working, you're going to have those pre-op complications. And the longer you go and then have surgery, the more likely you're probably going to have some post-op complications as well.
0: Rachel, great information. We'll continue our discussion in the next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Rachel at her email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to Modern Practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at com. We posted a link in our resource section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thanks for listening.